they would always allude that, you know, in the traditional Chinese household back in the day, there'd be like this one patriarch, like the grandpa is still alive. He's like 90. And then his kids are in the house. And then there's children and maybe there's even grandchildren. There's like multiple generations living together. And it sounds so grand, but really it's just grandiose. Like the whole thing seems like a terrible idea. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. Right, Dr. Harmon, we are back for Medical Dads. Back with our series on relationships. Medical Dads telling you everything you need to know to know people. That's right. And today, this is a big one. We're going to talk about our relationship with parents. Not our specific parents, but all of us as parents, how we relate to our parents once we hit adulthood and parenthood. Yeah, so not our specific parents, the listeners' specific parents. Or are we talking about how people relate to anyone who's a parent? We're just talking about how parents relate to their own parents. Okay, yes. that's yeah. If you're a, a listener and you have kids, we're talking today about how you as a listener relate to your parents. Yeah. But before we do that, I wanted to talk about how Chinese Canadians relate to their existence in North America a little bit. To their existence in North America. Okay. <laughs> well, this came up because there's this new show on Disney Plus called American Born Chinese that just premiered a couple nights ago. And this thing has been on my radar for a while because it is based on this graphic novel called American Born Chinese that I think I've talked about on the podcast really? years ago. I don't know. This is one of the most outstanding comic books ever written. <laughs> and it got made into this. It, it's, it's a long story, but to, to make, a sh make a long story short, basically there was this like young Asian-American dude named Gene Yang who was just drawing comics for the heck of it while working as a teacher, I believe. Yeah. And wait, he wait, 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 wait. So instead little... of the students sitting in class doodling, the teacher was sitting in class doodling <laughs> and making comic books. No, he had this whole thing where like in like he had this whole thing where his dream was to become a comic artist. Yeah. So after work he would sit there and just write comics. Huh. Right? A teacher whose dream putting was together not to be a teacher. That is so unusual. <laughs> <laughs> so he started to write this comic and he was self-publishing it so he he had he had done apparently done the pages was photocopying himself and then and then handing it out to people he knew and then eventually got picked up as an independent publisher he got picked up by an independent publisher yeah. and came out as this comic called american born chinese and it was it was this random comic that my friend and i saw at a bookstore years ago and we're like oh this looks weird like at that time when we first picked this thing up this is like early 2000s yeah. we're like there there are no asian american comics right and it was the story of a of an asian kid trying to fit in in high school tethered with the story the legendary story of the monkey king who is sort of like the the chinese version of the lord of the rings it's like one of those <laughs> seminal stories that everyone knows right it's actually to say it's the lord of the rings is belittling it it's more like it's like it's like King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table okay. with the Chinese version of it. Yeah. 
because it's from hundreds of years ago, okay. right? This is a story that my dad read to me when I was a kid. So it's not as good as Lord of the Rings. Oh, no, it's be- probably better than Lord of the Rings. But I can't give Lord of the Rings a full review because I never read the whole thing in detail. But anyways, this thing just got remade into a miniseries on Disney+. Plus. Uh-huh. And so my wife and I, we got to watch this. And then we started watching the last couple episodes. And it, it occurred to me that, A, Asian Americans are definitely having a moment. Like the last <laughs> couple of years, there's been Crazy Rich Asians. There was the Oscar winning movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah. Now there's this. There's a lot of stuff going on in Asian America that did not go on when I was a kid. And it's all with the right? same actress, right? The same actors bouncing back and forth in the same movies, but whatever, right? Still more than I saw when I was a kid. Yeah, it's the biggest thing since Jackie uh, Chan, right? (laughs) Jackie Chan and Jet Li, and those guys came along when I was in the tail end of high school. Like, when I was growing up, there was none of this stuff, right? You, You only ever heard about Bruce Lee, right? So it's pretty cool that the... We're in this moment, and I'm super excited. Yeah. But the thing about it is, all of, a lot of these movies deal with high school. Like, there's the characters are always set in some high school environment uh-huh. where there's like the dopey Asian kid who's struggling to survive. He wants to be cool and play with the white kids on the sports team, but he can't quite make it. He's kind of interested in a white girl, yeah, right? Yeah. But she won't give him the time of day, and. It's it's clearly like a Generation X thing because, you know, Generation X Asian-American males like me, we grew up th- in this environment. So now, obviously, we're portraying it in, in literature and pop culture now that we have a chance, yeah. right? So kudos to, to, kudos to getting the, that stuff out there. But it made me think about my own kids yeah. because I think I've mentioned it on Medical Dads before is that my kids go to a private school just outside of Toronto in Markham that is 95% Chinese, like student body, right? And it's like this wacky experiment where all the Chinese Canadian kids are congregated together in a school and there's actually almost no white people, right? And so I thought about this a bit and I was like, because historically, while they've been attending the school, part of me has been like, it's too Chinese. You always hear parents like talking about the school and like, yeah, it's a good school, but it's a little too Chinese. Like yeah. we prefer a bit more diversity. Yeah. But then I was watching American Born Chinese and thinking about how miserable this kid is, how miserable he is trying to fit in. And I thought back to my own existence in elementary school and high school. And, and my existence in those places wasn't horrible yeah. right but i definitely felt like i didn't fit in i definitely felt like the oddball and and there were many oddballs i wasn't the only you know chinese canadian kid but definitely always felt like it didn't really fit in yeah. and it occurred to me that maybe it's not so bad for my kids to be going to a school that's 95 percent chinese right <laughs> like that's the logical conclusion of you know me working in a chinese canadian medical office right, right? Some chinese canadian patients yeah. eating at chinese canadian restaurants yeah right Ma- like what's wrong with us all congregating together to the exclusion of everything else <laughs> at the very least they don't have to deal with a lot of these weird inferiority complexes that you develop yeah. being in that environment which is the stuff i had to grow up with so part of me is like maybe it's not so bad maybe th- maybe her my daughter's generation they don't have to write these kind of you know mini series when they get older right, right? <laughs> yeah so it's, it's you're not wrong that you know that's an interesting <laughs> like take on it right um 
Because it's it was sort of like okay. Then on the flip side, what's what is the advantage? What are we missing by not being in a school that uh, that what 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 would be the ideal mix that uh, they would be there in the exact same proportion that they are to the rest of society or like the rest of Canadian demographics? Right? Is that is that what I don't know. I don't really know what the answer is, right? But it seems to me that in general, most immigrant groups like to congregate amongst themselves. Yeah, right. Which actually makes everyone else uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> right. It's like a survival mechanism. And then it becomes a thing. And then you end up having like your own little neighborhoods and they become ghettos and, and so forth. Right. <laughs> and I've always been, a, you know, a big proponent of diversity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we should all get to know each other. The more we understand about other groups, the better off we all are. Yeah. But at the same time, I felt growing up, I was in a diverse group, but I always felt like I didn't have a place that I fit in. I didn't feel like I belonged. Right. Yeah. And I feel like, is it so bad to have a place where you really just feel like you belong, right? And everyone belongs, yeah. right? And you don't deal with racism. You don't see it. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, what would, uh, what makes one not feel like they belong? What is the, 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 the difference for your kids, right, who, who are, were born and raised by parents who were also born and raised in Canada? What, what, would, what makes them, what do they get that makes them feel like they fit in is it just the, the way people look is it uh is it that people eat the same food what's the well it's all of it right when you're around people from your group suddenly all of those things are the same for everybody right the variations become much smaller yeah i'll, I'll tell you what i think it is it's the whole malcolm x martin luther king thing again yeah. right is should we be desegregated or should we what was the other martin luther king was all about desegregation right intermixing the groups yeah but but Malcolm X was about segregation. He wanted he wanted the black people to be separated in their own schools, have their own government and to be militant about it. Right. And this, I feel like, is a bit of an example of that conflict, that tension. Yeah, it's I guess that is the for the individual kid. There probably are plenty of advantages to being in an all Asian school. I bet you those kids come out, at least some of them, with more self-confidence than they would have if they were at an all like, you know, all guys school and turn of the century, <laughs> <laughs> all, all guys school named Bray Buff College School like I did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like my kids go to a school now that just by a quirk of the demographics of where I happen to live in my in Ottawa, their school is a majority Middle Eastern uh, and or Muslim uh, families. Mm. Uh, it's just a weird quirk. It's that, that that in this particular neighborhood, in this particular school, that's just the catchment area of what we have and who happens to live around here. And sure. uh, and it, but it's noticeable, right? Where they they come back from school and they start complaining that like, oh yeah, this this group of people is like calls anybody who's white uh, albino monkeys, and it's like, oh okay, um, <laughs> you know, you're like for some of these kids, it's like you, you your grandmother is is darker than they are, is darker than their grandmother is, but, uh, but the, that, that's what they're getting from the, from the school. And it's like, uh, I went through my own sort of things of being different than people when I was a kid, like of being a different color than other people when I was a kid. But it's not that I necessarily thought like, yes, I intentionally need for my kids to experience that as well for their, for their growth and well-being. And I certainly didn't <laughs> expect it that if my kids came looking lighter than me, that they would actually face more of this problem than I did. <laughs> Yes, very bizarre scenario for you to find yourself in. Yeah, but um, I mean, my for my kids' situation is a bit different, right? Because they're still living in Canada, where 
these their physical appearance they don't they don't outwardly look uh, like a minority if you're comparing them in all of Canada so mm. I don't necessarily think it would be a good thing for me to say oh yeah they'd be way better off at a school where it's 95% people who look Caucasian and 5% <laughs> of something else like that probably wouldn't be the best thing but uh, it would be just nice to have a bit more of just a, a a balanced mix where people could really not feel like they're in these groups that they feel like they have to be segregated in groups it's really frustrating for me to think about this because on the one hand i i really do think that the more we get to know people from different groups we learn more about them it humanizes the different groups to each other and we all learn and get along better over time that way rather than being siloed off, right? And then and at the same time, I'm saying that I'm a Chinese-Canadian physician that sees almost exclusively Chinese-speaking patients, yeah. right? And I, I do enjoy my job, and I feel like I'm providing a service to an immigrant population. I mean, it's a very, you know, it could go either way kind of thing. I feel like if truly, uh, the ideal school environment probably is something where there isn't 95% of any one thing, you know, mm. uh, where there's where there's because uh, even Canada, we're not 95 percent Caucasian. We're not even close <laughs> to 95 percent mm-hmm. Caucasian. Right. Uh, they might be the single biggest group, but they certainly don't outnumber all the other groups combined and uh, mm. uh, potentially won't be that long before <laughs> they're not even the single biggest group. But anyway, I don't think the best thing is for the school to be 95 percent anything. I think the best thing would be that nobody feels like uh, a very small minority within their school. Uh, but mm-hmm. that there is an actual mix. And I do feel like when there actually is a mix, then people don't start grouping together in these small clans. Right? <laughs> True. You know, I mean, when you think of medical school, medical school was much more of a mix, right? <laughs> the, they're, they're, I don't know if you count them out if there were more Caucasians than everybody else, but I don't think so. They, they yeah, might have been the not. biggest single group, but they were... Uh, nobody in med school could really complain about being a small group in our med school class unless you were half black and half white. <laughs> but yes, sure. <laughs> or if you were completely black, then you, then yes, you, were, you would be just an end of one in, in our class. <laughs> but, but, but that aside, we had a, a fairly big mix of, of people. And, and what I would observe in our class is that when you look at like you and I, we didn't, you didn't just hang out with just the Asian people in your class in medical school. You know, like our group of friends no. was a much bigger mix than just all the Asians or yeah, but all see, the Hindus. Your your example is rife with contradictions. <laughs> I I agree with you, but you know, now that you said N of one, I'm trying to think: was there an N of one black person in our class who was completely black? There was not, right? You were the closest thing to a, <laughs> to that person in our class. <laughs> there was a girl from Trinidad, but she didn't conceptualize herself as black. She thought of herself as being. Uh, of, of being Indian. Um, so, so yes, uh, there was just a half a black guy in our class, but if you combine our class with my brother's class, then that adds up to one black guy. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of those examples where the math does not work. Two halves do not make a whole, (laughs) (laughs) but all right. Anyways, that's just some food for thought. Thinking a little bit about ethnicity, and I thought I would share that story. Yeah. But actually, ties a little bit into some of this cultural stuff I wanted to talk about today and as we talk about parents. Yes. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with this Confucian concept of filial piety. Confucius right? wasn't one of the sort of, say, fairy tales I grew up listening to every night before bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Confucius is one of the things that we we get drummed into our heads as as young Chinese Canadians. In the right? in the actual parents, sense that your parents will say things like Confucius says and then quote Confucius or it's a little bit more subtle than that. Okay. But basically the thing that I wanted to talk to you about is that I feel like generally speaking there's this concept amongst Chinese and and Asians in general of filial piety, right? Filial piety is this idea that it's this concept where you you treat your parents with reverence and respect. That's a kind of nice concept honor. for something that has such a disgusting sounding name. <laughs> Filial piety <laughs> sounds like something I'd get arrested for doing in the park. <laughs> you won't get arrested for doing it in the park. Now, the thing is, it, it, it like it's it sounds great, right? Treat your parents well. Yeah. Don't bring disgrace to the family. Like this is like a paramount value in traditional Chinese culture, yeah. right? And it dates back to Confucius. It's mentioned in Taoism and Buddhism too. So it's like a, it really pervasive part of Chinese culture, yeah. right? And so we all grow up with this idea that, you know, that as Chinese, we really respect our parents yeah. and family comes first, right? Yeah. Unlike, and, and the subtext of that is unlike white people who yeah. don't value any of those <laughs> things, right? So that stuff gets drummed into us from day one, yeah. right? And so you're always feeling like you're gonna let the family down. You know that whole thing where like the Chinese Canadian kids feel pressured to become a doctor, engineer, or lawyer, yeah. or else they're gonna let down the family? Yeah. Like that's a very specific thing that derives from this whole filial piety business, which is like, you gotta listen to your parents no matter what they say. Yeah. And if what they tell you that you should be doing this job, then you really should be doing this job for them, <laughs> right? And I feel like in the West, there's less of this idea, right? There's a different sort of pressure of like, you know, what should you be when you grow up? But it's not as directly laid on so thick the way Chinese parents like to do it. Certainly in the Western world and probably in North America especially, it's not necessarily that this is directly tied to your parents, but the, there's a real promotion of the concept of uh, individuality and the individual. Right. And the, right. the rights of the individual and the, the individual's rights shouldn't be trampled on like, just because it's what's good for everybody else or what's convenient for everybody else. Um, and, and, and independence is so valued, right? It's like you get praise and credit for kids who show uh, uh, individuality or who can speak up for themselves, right? That's uh, parents have right. this thing. I, I want my child to learn how to speak up to themselves for themselves. I, I want them to be able to be independent. And I don't know if, if that specific value is something that in in Asian culture, is that something that people talk about as, as being highly important? I, my sense is well, no. Less so probably. Right. So, so that, that's the premise that I'm working from. Yeah. But my th whole thing is I feel like this is a little bit of poppycock, yeah. you know, I, and maybe it's just my North American sensibility because I am Canadian. I've lived here my whole life, but my observation of it is that this is a narrative that, Chinese love to spin yeah. about how great we are because we care about family, unlike Westerners. Yeah. But that in reality, it's the cause of a lot of problems, <laughs> right? It's the cause of a lot of problems that for the sake of Confucius, who has, by the way, been dead for thousands of years, <laughs> for the sake of this guy's ideas, we're miserable, yeah. right? As a collective, a lot of the time. And I feel like it's, it's over time developed, like we have this assumption about Asian cultures, that Asian cultures are more about family, yeah. right? We have this assumption that Asians care more about their parents and they're more dutiful. And I feel like it sells Westerners short, right? And I don't even think it's better 
necessarily like that this whole framework that that we've this fictitious framework that we keep clinging on to i don't even think it's necessarily better than this western model where everyone becomes an individual at some point (laughs) well i wouldn't say that uh, and we should signpost for our listeners now that this is the point at which we're talking about today's topic which is relationship with parents i guess we're 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 talking family but this is meant to be the springboard into talking about relationship with parents Mm -hmm. right but i would say if we're talking about family at the beginning of this Western culture is still very much about family, is, is values family. You know, people, you'll hear about this any, every election, <laughs> family values. Um, <laughs> certainly, like, Christian uh, philosophy uh, has, has a lot of emphasis on family. But mm-hmm. uh, it's maybe the more the interpretation that, you know, you, the way you prove or show that you care about family is by the kind of relationship you have with taking care of or responsibility for your parents. That part maybe is, is where you're seeing, like, I don't think Westerners truly care less about their parents. And it, that's probably true. I don't think people in the Western world care less about their parents. But if your understanding of caring about your parents is that whenever you buy a house as an adult, you automatically choose a house that has a granny suite because you know your parents are going to come live with you. <laughs> uh, well, sometimes the best way to care for your parents is to not have them live with you. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to ask you. That is the one of the prime examples because yeah. I see this all the time in my practice, right? Like, like you have a new immigrant family coming to Canada. You, you know that you know they decided we're gonna we're gonna go to North America, have a better life. They're probably in their late twenties, mid twenties, late thirties when they make this transition. Yeah. Right. They come over. The kids are growing up, and then next thing you know. Let's bring the family over, right? Let's bring the parents over. Yeah. So you have a lot of these families living with sometimes one set of grandparents, sometimes two sets of grandparents in and out of the country at different times of the year yeah. in your household. And I, I lived in that environment too. Like my my mom and dad had their parents coming through our house at various points during my childhood for extended stays. Although none of them were ever that happy being in Canada. Yeah. So it was they were only here for the summer or the, or the warmer months, yeah. generally speaking, right? But- is this not a thing in Western culture at all? Because I really struggle to think of any example of any Western person I know yeah. after they got married and had children yeah. that then at some point lives with their parents, even yeah. if their parents are are elderly, in need of care, in need of regular health care. There's still this idea that mom has her house, dad has, well, mom and dad hopefully living <laughs> together, but they're not living in our house either way. Well, certainly there are lots of Westerners who live with their parents. So the question is how many Westerners who have parents who live with them, I guess is maybe the, <laughs> the thing. But uh, yeah, it definitely is not as norm. It's not as, as, and it's certainly not the expectation that your parents are going to come and move in with you, that, uh, that, you know, that you would be taking care of your parents the way uh, like mm-hmm. a nurse would take care of one's parents. But I don't think that maybe what would be different is if my if I came from a culture where that was the norm, then I might imagine that oh, in the Western world, there's all these abandoned parents who want to live with their kids, right? who want to live with their grown up <laughs> children, but aren't allowed to. When the reality right. is parents don't want to live with their kids. I, I, as a person growing up in a Western culture myself, don't when I'm older want to live with my children. Uh, <laughs> certainly, I don't want to be living in their house. And with that comes them being you know, the relationship flips, right? And that they actually have like authority over you, uh, which is right. definitely, yeah, that's that's not fitting with that whole or, concept or, of independence. and uh, Or even worse, even worse, that some 
as yet unidentified son or daughter-in-law has authority over you. Right. Someone you don't even know right now yeah. will be your boss. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that that's very... My, my own mother, who, you know, she grew up in Jamaica. I guess you can consider that sort of a Western world culture, but uh, she'll be the first to say she doesn't, if she gets to a point where she can't control her, her bowels and her bladder and that type of thing, she doesn't like the thought at all of her kids or anyone who knows her well, like coming and cleaning her up and doing that kind of stuff. She's like, no, if you care about me, you'll make sure that, that you know, somebody is paid to take care of that and do that so that I don't have mm -hmm. to have any embarrassment or shame for this person. Well, that's their job uh, as opposed right. to my kids doing it. That's, that's not what she wants. But that, that's, that doesn't mean that she doesn't still want us to be a big, like involved in her life or that type of stuff. Right. So I, I feel like as parents, we want, we want our kids to be out and about and living life, right? right? Whether, you know, we want them to be doing that. We want them to be doing that now as children, yeah. right? Doing their activities and having fun at school. We want them to do it as adults. We don't want them, you know, stuck at home with carrying us as burdens into our old yes. age, right? They should be out doing the, the cool stuff. Yeah, well, right? I mean, I, do, I don't want my kids to be feeling a huge sense of relief when I die so that now they can truly start their lives, right? And, and, and have freedom to do what they want and, and, that, and, and move to where they want to live to. And I, I do sometimes right. get the thing that the Western perception of the Asian culture is that parents are making kids feel guilty and obligated right from the very beginning. That you do all this stuff for your kid and you, and, you, and you hold it over them and you hold it over them for their whole life so that they grow up always with a sense of guilt yeah. if they're not doing what you say, which feels like if you really love your kids, like, why would you impose that on them? It feels like you're, they're living in a trap, which, uh, yeah. again, I, I, I imagine that's probably not exactly how it feels, but that's, the, that's the, what people perceive from the outside, right? <laughs> that's pretty much how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> it can feel like that to the kid, right? Like. Like certainly as you're growing up and your parents are putting pressure on you to do certain things professionally, that's probably the most common example that we hear. Like there's probably two common examples. And one is this thing of which career you're going to do. And there's a lot of examples and stories of people fighting with their parents over this. Yeah. Right. And then there's the other later on example of, well, who's looking after who when people are getting older. Yeah. Right. And needing help. Yeah. Right. And who's living with who. And this whole living with business is very, very complicated, right? You put you put two people in a house together, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Things are gonna blow up, <laughs> right? That's just how it is, right? And and it's one thing to put you like I was joking about it before, but the truth is, yeah, it's one thing to put you and your son in a room together. You probably could survive that, right? Yeah. But now you're going to introduce in-laws. You're going to introduce like children. There, there's so many different variables into this thing. And and traditionally in Chinese culture, they would always allude that you know in the traditional Chinese household back in the day there'd be like this one patriarch, like the grandpa is still alive. He's like 90, yeah. and then his kids are in the house, and then there's children and maybe there's even grandchildren. There's like multiple generations living together yeah. and it sounds so grand, but really it's just grandiose. Like the whole <laughs> thing seems like a terrible idea, right? Like if you really dig deeper, like the traditional true Chinese household that anyone that could really afford to do that in for any reason other than poverty, yeah. right? Like they're doing that, but there's actually three wives living there simultaneously, <laughs> right? They're going from one bedroom to the next on different nights. Like it's, it's, it's a messed up household, yeah. right? So I just feel like as, as Asians, 
as Chinese, we sometimes like to spin this narrative that how great our concept of parent care is, yeah. but really it ain't all that it's cracked up to be. And I really feel like, you know, like we we're talking about, why, why is diversity important? This is an example of it, right? Like, you know, we come to North America, we see that the Western way of certain things is better, yeah. right? Let's, ad- let's adopt some of these values. <laughs> well, uh, on the flip side, just to just to uh, to give some support for the uh, for the Asian way of thinking, when uh, we're still struggling now or, or dealing now with the with the fallout from the long term uh, care housing situation in our province, the, where <laughs> during COVID it came to light that yeah the the, the standards by which we we manage these uh, these ho- homes for the elderly was terrible, and that all these all these elderly people live right. in a horrible situation. And so that that idea of respect for the elderly and respect for someone simply because, hey, look, you live this long, that in and of itself garners you some respect. Uh, you know, I think that's something that like Western culture could take from the Asian perspective, hmm. and it would not be a bad thing for us to adopt more of. Hmm. So probably there's a middle ground, because I, I do think you're right. When, when we talk about our relationship with our parents, this this question often comes up, right? Like, as our parents get older, they get more frail, and their their care becomes more and more complicated. Yeah. Who's supposed to do what? This is a very very complicated question. Yeah, yeah. How, you know, it's easy enough for me to say, sure. Now, my someone like my mother would rather live in a nursing home, or well, at least she'd probably rather live in her own home, but have somebody who comes into the home to help her if she needs it, than to have mm-hmm. to move and lose her independence and have to come live with her kids. But uh, that's in a context if you've actually got a situation where you can have the money and stuff to afford to do that, right? There's some yeah. people where they only really have two choices. Either grandparents come and live with us or grandparents go to some like woefully underfunded, like cruddy, like long-term care right. home or retirement home or something, a nursing home. Right, where you become a sitting duck when the next coronavirus hits. That's right. right? And although I don't do adult medicine really, uh, when I in my training, I had to rotate through adult emergency departments, and I saw firsthand these these people that come in from a, a nursing home, and then the kids show up, like, like the grown up children show up, uh, really strongly advocating for their parent, and you realize no, they're not advocating; they're just overcompensating for the fact that for three months they didn't see this parent. Then they got a phone call <laughs> saying, "Yeah, the parent that you have here at our home is in the hospital," and now they're coming in. You know, trying right. to dealing with the guilt of like, yeah, it's true. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't realize things were this bad until it happened. You know, nobody right. wants to be in that. I mean, there, I feel like in medicine, I feel like in medicine, when we deal with elderly people, we often have this concept as Western physicians that when we see a patient who's getting quite frail, and then we look across the, you know, at the chair next to him, like his wife is looking after him. We're like, there's no way she can continue to look after him anymore. Like this is kind of the thing that's happening as my dad's getting older. As physicians, we have this reflex where it's like, okay, time for you to go to a home, right? Make it less of a burden for you. We'll move dad to a home. And then, you know, you can still visit and still do stuff, but the burden of the day-to-day grind is lifted somewhat. And we, as physicians love to jump to that because, because a, that's the only option we can offer (laughs) as people are getting older and B, we mean well, we want to help, right? And that's the only option we have. So we just keep pushing this on people. Yeah. And I sometimes feel like that also misses the point, right? Mm-hmm. That aging is just a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing for the people going through it. It's a difficult thing for the family that's surrounding the aged person. Mm-hmm. And 
it, the, the answer is not so cut and dry. It's, it's like a reflex, like, oh, you're getting old. Okay, long-term care. But make, put that plan in place, yeah. right? And the, the, the flip side, as, we've, as I've seen over time, is that many people go to the homes, and for some reason, the home cannot look after them. Right. And soon they're back at the house. Yeah. Right. Like the, the, there, there's been numerous cases where I've heard of patients who the home couldn't look after them or their their situation was so complicated that it, it just became easier for the family to f- pay money privately and bring them back to the house to deal with the nuances of the specific care that the elderly person required. Yeah. Like it speaks to the how individualized all of these cases really are yeah. and how much families carry for elderly people whether they're chinese or not like yeah. like there's a it's a complicated thing yeah oh yeah i mean <laughs> I, for when you think for yourself right what do you want to be in what do you want to happen when you when you get old <laughs> i'm not gonna get old that's basically it right when you're young you just don't want to think about this you have this you have this idyllic vision in your mind that you're going to be spry and healthy and defy the odds and then pass away suddenly in your sleep when you're 100. I think that's what Confucius had figured out. He, Confucius realized that when you're young, you have a mindset of like, well, whatever, old people can take care of themselves. And plus, they're old. They, 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 they had their time and they know that they're old and they should just like be ready to go. <laughs> but then Confucius knew that, yeah, but... Uh, when you get old, you don't feel that way anymore. Like when you're old, you actually start to feel like, I can't believe this is happening to me. <laughs> like, like I, yeah, I saw other people get old, but I didn't expect it was going to feel like this when I got old. So confusion was like, yeah, yeah, let's set up the groundwork now so that when you're young, it'll be there for when you're old. Keep that. Yeah. Hence, hence, hence he is quite, quite wise. Yeah. And there's some merit to what he is saying. Now, but I was going to ask, go ahead. Uh, at this point in your life, when you think about relationship with parents, do you feel like your parents are already at a point where, I mean, I know that your dad is, is sick, so you really kind of look after your dad, but do you feel like for your mom that things have flipped in terms of you being more the parent? Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like your relationship with people never really changes. Yeah. You know, like if you're, if you and your brother treat each other a certain way when you're 12, mm-hmm. you still treat each other that way when you're 28 and 48, right? And then if you and your mom treat each other a certain way when you were 20, that you, when you're 55, it's still the same. It's it's still like, it's still like, hey, t- take off your shoes when you come into the carpet. How many times do I have to tell you this, <laughs> right? Same. Like it just happened to me today. I walked into my mom's house and I didn't take my shoes off right away. And it's the same. <laughs> It's funny, like, as a kid, you think that your parents have all the answers, right? When you're a kid, if, you, mm. if there's something you don't know, if you're a kid, you're wondering, well, how does this happen? Why does that happen? You ask your parents, and your parents always seem to have some kind of an answer, right? Anything mm-hmm. that comes, you know, something comes in the mail, you have to assemble, right? So let's say you order an Ikea table or something like that. <laughs> as a kid, your parents have never ordered an Ikea table before and assembled it Potentially, right? this may be the first time they're assembling that particular thing, but you still expect them to know how to do it. You still ask them, like, right. well, so what are we supposed to do? And it, it's funny because when I think for for my mom as a kid, it was, I just sort of saw her as well as my mom. She's an expert on every on every topic. Uh, and now, even now as an adult, it's still kind of like that. Um, uh, two examples that come to mind. I remember my wife and I, uh, when we just had our first kid, we were in our uh, little apartment that we were renting 
and we we made some uh, uh, flatbread that we had put olive oil on, and we were toasting it with the olive oil in the oven. But uh, we'd put too much olive oil in the pan. One of us did. <laughs> no one will ever know who it was, but somebody between me and my wife put too much oil in this pan, and it caught fire. And we had this, this raging fire in the oven. Uh, so I'm saying, like, oh, yeah, I know what to do here. You just close the oven door, and it will deprive it of oxygen, and the fire should die down. But the oven had a big, obvious vent at the top that uh, was just like, bringing in more oxygen. The smoke's pouring out of this thing. And... Yeah, we really like, we're about to, we have a fire extinguisher. So we're about to open this thing and mess up this oven, the stove, everything with this fire extinguisher. And for some reason, it just occurred to me and my wife in this moment, like, you know, why don't we just call your mom? You know, she knows a lot about <laughs> stuff. This seems like something she would know how to deal with. While the fire is raging. That's it. We got this fire is going on right in front of us, right? And we've got like, you know, we've got about five minutes to decide, you know, put it out evacuate the building or call my mom and we chose option three we call my mom and yeah it's like i don't know if she's ever had to deal with this oven fire before but you know she did not really hesitate to say oh what you should do is take a towel uh run it under the tap then open the oven and just throw that in on top of your pan and we're like <laughs> yeah okay and we did it fire is out <laughs> Just in time for the landlord who lived above us to come down and be like, is everything okay? I, we're smelling a lot of smoke up here. <laughs> there you go. Your parents always know more than you. Yeah. This seems to be the message of that story. We just, this is a whole topic into itself, but we just got a cat here at the Harmon household, a, a kitten. It's a big deal mm. for us. But uh, wow. none of us here know how, anything about cats because I grew up in a house where my, my, both my parents were very much against pets. And I myself am very much against pets for the most part in terms of having one. And yet here I am. I find myself as a man with a, with a kitten in the house. And uh, yeah, it's doing all this weird kitten behavior. And I don't like, I'm like, there's something wrong with this kitten. Because it doesn't seem like, it's not very cuddly. It just does whatever it feels like. It's, uh, you know, none of the things that we're expecting. And my mom comes over. And this is the same person who was telling me before, like, yeah, no, I, I, I don't really want you guys to... To get, to get a pet because I don't really want to come and have to deal with a pet. But uh, she's coming over and she's giving me all this advice about how to what to expect from this kitten. She's like, oh, you know, they'll do this at this age, but as they get older, then they come and they start to sit <laughs> on your lap and stuff. It's like, this is a person doesn't even like animals. And she knows all this stuff about the kitten. It's just one of those things. Your, your, your mother knows stuff. Your parents just know stuff. See, I think the key, the key thing is not that at some point you end up knowing more than your parents or that you realize your parents don't know anything. Yeah. The key really is that when we're younger, we think we know everything. Like young people have this stubbornness to themselves, which is great, where we think we can change everything and we have all the answers. And at some point we realize we don't have those answers, yeah. right? Most of us do, right? If you if you never make that realization, you just become a jerk to hang around <laughs> to, 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 to to for people to hang around with, right? But if you come to that organize if you come to that realization and you develop a little bit of humility, then you can kind of segue into always being like that with your parents because they don't have the answers either, but neither do you, and that's actually not a bad place to be <laughs> as we as we head off into our older age. My son has started beating me in this video game. There's a game called Splatoon, Splatoon Three that we have on the Nintendo. And, you know, I get to play this thing uh, once in a while, every once in a while. Uh, and before, that was enough. If I opened up a video game for me and my son that had any kind of competitive aspect to it or whatever, like just my previous life experience with video games, like I'm 
can pretty much figure out how to beat him in any game. But this game, Splatoon, uh, he's got like much more time than than I do to sit down and play this game. So we're playing this game, and it's like, okay, you're beating me. It must be because your character in the game, you play him so much, he's got all these experience points, and his armor's better and whatever. But it's like we switch. We switch. It's like, okay, I'll. I'll Give some of your gear to my character. Nope, still getting killed. All right, you know what? I'm just going to use your controller and play as you. You play as me. Nope, still getting killed. It's like I'm realizing this, this, is, this is the first step towards the pathway where now I can't open my phone without his help. I don't know how to use the internet. <laughs> then he likes saying, you know, he's right. the one making all my financial decisions and taking away my I'm glad account. you realized that because it sounded like what you were trying to say was that he just has more time to practice. But what's really happening is that your reflexes are dulling ever so slightly, right? <laughs> you can't it. see as clearly, right? And you're too hunched over to really function properly as a video gamer at this age. It's something like that. It's like, all right, fine. We're not playing this anymore. Let's play Tetris. Ah, there we go. I can kick your butt again. <laughs> so, I mean, as so what, what are we trying to say as medical dads? is that we should try to preserve a little bit of Confucianism when we're dealing with our parents, right? Respect our parents, treat them well, but we should also preserve some of the Western idea, which is that parents are us. We will grow up to be parents. We want to be individuals, <laughs> right, as Westerners, right? We don't want to live in our parents. We don't want to live in our children's homes when we get super old, That's right? Great. It's great for us to congregate on a regular basis, but we don't need to see each other every five seconds. And just you know, learn one other thing from the way Asian people treat their parents, right? Asian children model their expectations of how they need to treat their parents as adults by seeing how their parents treat their grandparents, right? And that is mm. the same no matter where you live, right? So in North America, your kids will treat you, all right, a certain way based on how they see you treat your grandparents. So if you think that you can have a bad reputation with your grandparents, or you can say, oh yeah, well, like my parents did a bad job of raising me, or they, they were too hard on me, so yeah, yeah. I, I'm growing estranged from them. But that's, that's, I don't have to worry, my kids will treat me differently because I'm doing such a better job of being a, a cool dad or, a, or an understanding parent. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. You gotta teach your kids that no matter what, you know, your parents are still your parents. Uh, if they see you act that way with your parents, then they will act that way with you. Or at least they'll be more likely to act that way with you. No, no, no guarantees here. Now, here's a question that I'm curious about. Like, you ended up graduating from medical school, did your residency, and then you wound your way back to Ottawa where your family is. Yes. Right? Now, that's sounds like that's a sort of a deliberate move. I mean, it's, it happens that, you know, you're getting married and your wife is from Ottawa also, so that all kind of worked out. But what do you think... In the alternate reality, you could have ended up somewhere else, yeah. right? And people move for their career all the time and end up, you know, you end up playing out the string really far from your parents. That's a fairly common scenario yeah. in, in all parts of the world at this point in time. Yeah. And I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, you know, what I didn't think I would necessarily be coming back to Ottawa when I was, when I was in medical school and you're planning where you're going to go for residency and this type of thing. And I was a little surprised at myself to realize that I was getting, when I was getting close to residency, that I started favoring, not necessarily being in Ottawa, but being in Ontario, uh, mm. as opposed to if I was in British Columbia, that's quite a flight, right? So now you're really only seeing your parents when you go really out of your way to make the opportunity to go out and fly and see them. And around the time when I had to choose, I was thinking to myself, it's not that I'm worried my parents are going to die you know, 
in four years. And so if I don't uh, see them now, I'm not going to see them. But it just made me feel like, I was starting to feel like if I'm far away from them for another four to 10 years for training, uh, then when something happens, if something happens, I will be looking back and saying, yeah, well, there's all that time I missed that I could have been mm. like closer to my family. So that actually uh, affected me. And I thought about that when I, when I chose my residency and I ended up in London, Ontario, which is uh, about a sort of six hour drive or so to Ottawa to, to go back and see family. And I did go back and see mm. my family quite a bit during residency. And then when it came time to actually choose fellowship and know that so I was choosing a job, this is the point at which I was uh, going to be getting married to the person who was my girlfriend at the time, is my wife now. And she wanted to be close to her family. She had already knew that she wanted to be close to her, her parents mm. and her sister who were in Ottawa. And we knew that my parents were going to be here. And there were two things that really had consciously come into my mind. One was my, my wife was willing to follow me anywhere uh, or at least go anywhere that I was going to go. I don't know if follow is the right word, but if uh, I, I had actually had the opportunity to go and train in Calgary and had been accepted for that uh, and she would have come with me. And actually, all things being equal, that is what I was going to do. That was the program that I wanted to go to. Uh, mm -hmm. but I just had that thought of if she comes to, to Calgary with me and the only reason she's there is because of me, I'm going to be so busy with my training. She's going to have nobody that she knows or can talk to until she makes new friends. And the one person she does know well, me, is going to be too busy to be like that main support <laughs> for her in a new city. So I was right. like, all right, let's see what, what, what can I do to, to get something set up in Ottawa? The, the other thought that I that was a conscious thought that came to me was this idea of, okay, we're going to be planning for kids. And so to have kids, and we knew right off the bat we wanted a big family, so we knew we were shooting for four. To, to mm -hmm. do that and have no supports around during any of it also <laughs> seemed uh, a bit insane. Well, clearly you needed the world's greatest grandmother around, <laughs> right. put out all fires and manage all pet situations. <laughs> <That's insane. laughs> But you know what? As you're telling this story, you know what I realized? What's that? You're Chinese. <laughs> you are Chinese, right? I got to give you the Confucius salute, right? Because filial piety seems to be the way you live your life, right? We, we, I was supposed, this was supposed to be a discussion between a, a Westerner and an Asian, but it really flipped itself. <laughs> we need to bring in somebody else next time to give us the alternate viewpoint because these are just two Chinese guys talking to each other about filial piety at the end of the day. Pretty much. And you know why? Why? Because <laughs> even when I was in elementary school, I, I had uh, Chinese friends, you know, my uh, good friend from <laughs> Hong Kong. And that's because my school wasn't just 95% half Jamaicans. Right? <laughs> I went to a, an integrated mixed school where I got exposed to these concepts early on in life and could benefit from them. Absolutely. There you go. Tying it all back together. <laughs> That's right. That is the medical dad's guide to dealing with your parents as a parent, the Chinese way. Yeah. At least that's at least our insights onto the, the adult, adult child parent relationship. Stay tuned for our next podcast where we're going to dive into another relationship that springs out of being a dad or at least being out of parent. Yeah. And you won't want to miss this one because now we're going to talk about your relationship with your in-laws, dealing with your in-laws, <laughs> the Chinese way. That's okay. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait. I have much <laughs> less insight on, on how Asian people deal with their, uh, their in-laws. <laughs> you think you do, but we'll see. We'll, we'll find out how a real Chinese deals with their in-laws. <laughs> see you in a week, folks. Have a good week.